Welcome to Church 213. Our world is full of majestic wonders that people experience personally and then walk away being changed forever. Yet there is simply no greater wonder than Jesus. Once our eyes are fixed upon him, we can't unsee what was seen, so we begin to live differently. In this series, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, we'll look at what happens when Christ comes face to face with ordinary people. How they are changed still has the same majestic power today. We pray that as you would listen, you would turn your eyes upon Jesus. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be all in that this morning. If you think I'm going to preach a 25-minute message, you're wrong, okay? So hold on. Hold on. We've got a good word. Here's what I know, that when you position yourself under the Word of God, lives change. That is evidence right there. Just consistently showing up, feasting on the Word of God. Thank you guys for being here. I, you know, there's, there's other things you could have done, but I was just sitting there thinking earlier, there could have been some cotton candy out there in the culture, but you guys have chosen to be in here with the meat, with a ribeye, a bone-in ribeye that changes lives. And my commitment to you is to dig out, get us off the milk, get us on the meat so that we can really see what a life change really, really looks like. So, so thank you guys. These eight people right here that were up here, love them so much. What a table they've set for us. And we should not take them for granted. I know we don't. I know we don't. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to bring your attention to, to the theme of the message this morning, and it's simply strength to surrender. Strength through surrender. World War II was the bloodiest war in human history. 16 million people took part in the fighting from all over the world. And there's some stories that you can read in your textbooks that are popular from the Second World War, but there's some that you won't read about that, is, that, that are just as important, some, some stories that are just incredible. I want to tell you about one. This is a story that happened on August the 27th, 1941. A German U-boat, which is what they called an underwater boat, a submarine, U-570, was captained by Lieutenant Hans Joachim Romlo, and it surfaced off the coast of Ireland. And almost immediately, it was spotted by Joseph James Thompson. Acting as a leader of the British squadron, he was on anti-submarine patrol. And after seeing this sub surface, he immediately uh, went over and, and Romulo saw and he, he ordered his sub, submarine to make a deep dive, but it was too late. Thompson had already spotted the submarine. And Thompson's bomber dropped four depth-charging blows, one of which severely injured the submarine. And being inexperienced, Romulo panicked. And what he did was he surfaced again because he was afraid that the submarine would be filled with chlorine gas and it would be a coffin. And so as he surfaced, the crew came running up on deck. And this is when Thompson attacked with the, with the plane's machine guns. And the crew quickly realized we're in a tight spot. And they surrendered. It was the only time... In the history of modern warfare, that a submarine surrendered to an aircraft. And we read that and we go, that is, that is unbelievable. There's always more under the surface. What makes the story of surrender amazing 
is on the part of the good guys when, when they took the submarine and they, they towed it to, to shore. Inside of this U-boat was a German Enigma machine in a code book. And this machine was a type, you know, it was a typewriter side. It had, it had gears, it had letters, and it, it, it was used to make German secrets. It could, it could make over 10 million different characters and, and different words. And, and, and so now this machine, are y'all with me? And this code book that they were able to use to secretly communicate the battle plans and the strategy was now in the hands of the Allies. And the reason that they called this machine the Enigma machine is because Enigma just means unexplainable. And they thought the code was impossible to crack. But now the Allies had the Enigma machine. And not just the machine but they had the code book. And immediately, the war began to change. Be- immediately, the, the, the battle and the strength of the Germans that they had began to swing on the other side. The advantage changed sides. And four years later, you guys know the story, the war was over. The, 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 the worst war to date that the world has ever seen was over. What I want you to know is this, victory happens through surrender. Victory happens through surrender. We see that it plays out on the battlefields, plays out on the football fields. You know, you get to a point where you can no longer fight and you just throw your hands up and and, and that's it. But here's what I want you to know. Real and authentic faith also happens like that. Surrender and victory See, surrender to the cross makes you a Christian. It's, it's not an affiliation to a family, and it's certainly not an affiliation to a church. The only thing that, that, can, that can cause you to mark some box on an application of Christian is how you've surrendered yourself under the lordship of, of Christ by way of the cross. That's it. You're not a Christian by proxy. We heard that testimony from Amanda. We heard that testimony from Celeste. Believe me, her granddaddy who's here, who who was a pastor and still is for you, if you could have saved her, you would have. But you couldn't. It was only a work of the cross. And so the question is, PR, how can real strength come through surrender? I, I thought real strength was me having to have my act together to make my life count. I had to be strong and I had to be independent. Man, that's the lie the word will tell you. Amen. You want to make a name for yourself, you got to live life for yourself. That's the biggest lie hell's ever given. But the, the enigma of it all is that's one of those paradoxes of Christianity that makes some believers scratch their head and go, what in the world? This makes absolutely no sense. In God's economy, the math is just different. This is one of those, this is one of those situations, but it's through the paradoxes, listen, that, that life is really lived. The paradox of Christianity where it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but in the economy of the gospel, it makes perfect sense. We see that story all throughout the New Testament. Jesus trying to reclaim the worldly thinking of the disciples who thought, hey, if I want to be great, I need to be on your left and right. He's like, no, you need to wash feet. If I want to be great, I need to be in the first of the line. He's like, nope, you have to be last. I want to be great. I have to have people serve me. But in reality, you have to be a servant of all. And he proved it with his life. 
He served humanity by going to the cross. It's a paradox. And so if you think about it, love and joy, peace, man, I don't want you to miss it. Patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is a paradox. And the Bible says there are no limits to those things. You don't have to box those things in. Because what it tells us is the enigma of life is this code book. And God has given it to us. All we have to do is feast on it. Dedicate our lives to it. Trust it. Jesus himself said in in John 10, that I have come to give you life so that you may have it in full. In full. Think about the word full. It means abundance. It means complete. Comprehensive. Thorough. See, you think, you heard the testimonies that if you dip your bucket in the well of the world, that you'll bring it up full with abundance and thoroughness and comprehension. But it's not. It's empty. But when you dip your lives in, in, in the enigma that's called the gospel, Jesus says, hey, you turn your eyes to me, to upon me and I, will, I promise I'll give you life and I'll give it in abundance to full. And so if we're going to turn our eyes to Jesus, we turn them to have real strength. And that real strength comes only through surrender. How does this make sense? You guys write this down. What does the word surrender mean? Just just to kind of give us a, a working definition as we launch into this. The word surrender means stop resisting and start following. Very simple. Very simple. The word surrender means stop resisting and start following. Let's go together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 1. If you're willing and able... Let's stand together for, the, for this word. Second Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Hey, let me just say this as a way of good job, church. I love that you guys have your Bibles. Talking to, um, talking to Mike and Amanda, they commented that they had been to places where they walk in with their Bible and they're completely out of place. The Bibles are never opened. Bibles are never read. Bibles are never used. Okay, that's a country club. <laughs> and we're not one of those. Okay, we know where those are, but it's not at 1675. So there's power when you open up this enigma that leads to life. Amen. So thank you. Thank you for bringing it. Thank you for bringing it. Verse, verse number uh, one of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Boasting is necessary. It's not profitable. But I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Verse 3, I know that this man, whether in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person. Not about myself, except of my weaknesses. Verse 6. 
For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Verse 10. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, come on church, together, then I'm strong. Wow. What an enigma. You guys can be seated. What a life-changing enigma. Let me frame this for you. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And what he's doing is he's writing back to a pocket of believers, again, to the church of Corinth, which he planted. journey. And so Paul had lived in Corinth for about 18 months, spreading the gospel, which is a long way from Jerusalem. He was spreading the gospel, he was planting churches, he was, he was ministering, and he was establishing these Christian communities alongside of a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Power, hashtag power couple. And Paul is writing from Macedonia a second letter after getting some heartbreaking news, he had, he had planned to kind of circle back on his way to Jerusalem. He was collecting uh, an offering for the believers there in Jerusalem. And so as he was going, teaching and preaching, he was also talking about stewardship. He was talking about support. And, and he was collecting these things. And so he had planned at a later time to go to uh, Corinth. But he had sent Titus ahead. But before he could get there, Titus went back to where he was. He's like, Paul, you're not going to believe those believers in Corinthians. Down in Corinth, Lord, they they can mess up the gospel quick. They're they're living all kind of way. They are they are off the rails, and it grieved him. What was happening was there were some false teachers that had made their way, and they were manipulating their own spiritual experiences, and they were calling to question Paul's motive and Paul's courage. And so Paul writes this second letter on ahead. To the, to the church at Corinth to set the record straight that his suffering and, and his power to the gospel was authentic because Jesus himself had called him. And so this is the backdrop for us. And so if we're going to biblically live out, live out our faith by faith and not by sight, we have to see, hey, how do we actually have strength? If we're going to stand on what God has shown us what God has revealed to us daily. How do we actually live that out? You guys write this down. We're going to look at it. Earthly credentials points us away from heavenly significance. Hey, here's the reality. We live in America and we can get our hands on some pretty cool stuff. The stuff that's like, wow, no. Nobody else in the world has access to this. The means that we have, 
the economy that we live under, the blessings that we have. I mean, just think, just think about <clears throat> how many fresh water accesses you have in your own home. I, I did that. I just kind of did a, 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 a quick assessment of our own house. Thir- there's 13 different places I can get water. Now, some of those are outside. 13. We take it for granted, don't we? Man, we're going to go to Mexico you know, next week, Lord willing. Things are getting kind of hairy at the border. but We're not turning back now, okay? A lot of things are non-refundable, so we're going. But we're going to roll into a place that they have to have water pumped in. That's just one of the privileges and one of the benefits that we have, one of the blessings that we have. And, and, and my prayer for our team is, man, we can just kind of sit down and how good we got it. We don't take our lives for granted. We begin to pour that out onto the lives of the people around us. See, earthly credentials point us away from a heavenly significance. Man, people think, based on what I can acquire on this side, it qualifies me to somehow, somehow, to have some supernatural experience. Somehow I am better off because of what I have. And Paul's like, absolutely not. That's not the credentials that you look at. Look at verse 1, 1 through 6. Boasting is necessary. It's not profitable. But I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heavens 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. Verse 5, I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I I wouldn't be a fool, because I'd be telling the truth. But I'll spare you that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. See, here's what Paul is saying. He had some stuff in his life that he could totally brag about if he wanted to. That's what was happening in Corinth. There were religious spiritual leaders that were boasting about all the things that they had seen God do. And Paul could have walked into any church at that time and told the people what he knew, where he was educated in religious law, what he had seen, and there would have been a long line for his autograph. Paul actually says, hey, um, I'm forced to boast. Because his opponents in Corinth were boasting about all the stuff that they had done. What he's saying here says boasting is necessary. What he's saying is, okay, if, if you've, you've pushed me far enough to say, okay, boast, I can, you know, I, I, can, I can flex on them. That's what he's saying. I, I could flex on you if I wanted to. And he could push that button and he, and he does like, all right, here we go. I know a man. What he's doing, he's talking about himself. He was that man. I know a guy. He's talking about himself, and he, and he uses a third person because he's so hesitant to brag. He's like, if, if you're going to force me to brag, I'm going I'm to kind of come in the back door a little bit. I know a man because he knows that making everything about yourself steals away what only God can do. And so what happened is God had given Paul an inside look at heaven that no one on earth had ever experienced. 14 years. Y'all with me? 14 years earlier, 
He was given a glimpse of the direct presence of God. He was called up. He's like, I don't know if my body actually went or if it was my soul. I don't know what it was, but it was so real. It's beyond anything I could ever dream or imagine. God had done great things for Paul that he could have used to make a name for himself, but he didn't. Paul was committed to, uh, to, let's say, surrender to the cause of Jesus. But it was not because of the things that God had given him. It wasn't what he was experiencing on earth because it was, it was the fact that Jesus was his Lord and Savior that really mattered. And so what I want you to know is he had all the credentials for success. He had everything he needed. He had the look. He had the book. And he had the titles. He could have walked around like he was the man. But here's what Paul knows. The man that dies with the most toys and the most titles and the most treasures still dies. And see, the stuff he had access to wasn't why he surrendered to Jesus. The stuff he had experienced is not why he surrendered to Jesus. The things that he had acquired on earth is not why Jesus was his Lord. And so that leveled the ground in his life. You guys write this down. Worldly success will never, I don't want you to miss this, get you direct access to the core of Christ. Worldly success will never get you direct access to the core of Christ. You can have everything this world has to offer. And it will leave you high and dry. You ask Celeste Bales. Paul understood that living for Jesus wasn't about what he could get out of the deal like some magic lamp. And so what God had allowed him to see and experience was amazing, but he was humbled by the source. Y'all with me? He was humbled by the source. There's nothing more nauseating to me than to see someone boast in a strength that is clearly of supernatural origins. Like, who do you think you are? That really gets me, especially... Especially when you think about, you know, the people that say, you know, they look at the hand of God extended to you and then they live with clenched fist. God has been so good to all of us. And there are people that have experienced the blessings of God and they hold it in just like this. and think it's all about them. And we're rolling into we're rolling into playoff season. Lo, my man, always sports his Braves hat. I appreciate that. You go for the A, baby. National League, you got it. But here's the thing. If you think about, if you think about the, the, the if you think about the baseball player, we know the Braves have been on a tear. The Braves have hit more home runs as a team in the regular season than any other National League team in the history of baseball. There's just a few away from the major league record. If you think about baseball, if you get three hits out of every ten, you're a Hall of Famer. You can you can flat out fail. Seven out of ten times, and people still would want your autograph. What other profession is that? And you are awesome at being a loser. But you're the greatest of all times. And so for this very reason alone, sports scientists have discovered that hitting a fastball is the hardest thing you'll ever do in sports. It's it, hands down, hitting a fastball. And here's why, first of all, the average speed of a fastball is, I mean, it's got some giddy up. It's 90 miles an hour. If you've ever seen 90 
at 60 foot and a half, it's humming. You can hear it. And the ball is, is in the hitting zone, catch this, for, for less than 10 milliseconds. That's not very long. And, and even further, if, if you try to hit a, a round ball, the round piece of wood, the margin of error at, at that speed is like trying to make a contact with the width of a credit card. It's unbelievably difficult. Hitting a baseball is so hard because the batter has 150 milliseconds or less. You can blink more times than that to decide how they're going to hit it. And here's what gets me. You've got guys that get up there and hit that fastball with a, with a, in 150 milliseconds with a margin of a credit card 410 feet with 60,000 people going crazy and they flip the bat and think they did something amazing. That is an amazing feat, right? But they think it's all about them. Makes me want to puke. But I'll tell you what I appreciate. I appreciate that guy that does his business, runs around the bases, touch home's plate, touch, and says this. Thank you, Lord. I know some of those guys that are, that are believers, and, and yeah, what they've accomplished was a great thing, but they understood if God removes that hand of blessing for a second, they've got nothing. And so they, they boast in that. It was not about getting what he wanted from Jesus, where Paul is, but, he, but knowing Jesus at the core. And he knew that it was going to be foolish for him to boast in his own visions, what he was able to accomplish, what God had given him. The only thing that he was to boast about is his weakness. Why is that? What's this? You guys write this down. Because natural scrapes points us to God's sovereignty. Natural scrapes points us to God's sovereignty. By scrapes, I just mean the things that we experience that hurt in this life. The scrapes of life. Look at verse 7. I'm going to back up to verse 6. For if I want to boast, I, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be telling the truth. But I will spare you. So that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. And so if you put yourself in Paul's position, you understand that, that Paul lived for Christ because of who he'd found him to be in extreme adversity. Paul had a problem. He had a problem he didn't ask for. And he had a problem that wouldn't go away. This wasn't a, a self-inflicted wound. This was something that he just experienced in life because of life and the text says that three different times Paul goes to the Lord who says this is a thorn in the flesh and he asks him to take it away. Here's the thing about a thorn. It's not going to kill you. It's going to bug you to death. You ever had a little splinter? It'll shut, a little splinter will shut down your whole day. 
That's all you think about is that little, that little nagging splinter. How, how, because something so small in your flesh will consume your thoughts if you let it. And so what we see is God had given Paul this, this thorn in the flesh. The Bible calls it uh, uh, a, a messenger. That's a word here. The other, the other word for thorn is, is a messenger. It was a tool of reminder of his need for the Lord. Some people, I'm not saying me, some people say he was Mary and that was the thorn in his flesh. I'm saying, I, I didn't say that. I'm saying, some commentators say that, that he was, it was his wife, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Here's the deal. This tool... It doesn't exactly say what it is. It says it's a weakness. It says this, this, um, that it's a messenger of Satan. That doesn't mean that it's a, some type of demonic harassment. What he's saying is this. It's something in his flesh, something going on in his fallen body because of the consequence of sin, because of what went on in the garden mandate in Genesis 3, because the effects of Satan on humanity, Romans 1, there was something that he was experiencing in his body. Some, some think maybe it was migraines. Later in Timothy, it talks about him not being able to see very well. Some people think it was just you know, poor eyesight. They really don't know. But the point is this, is that Paul was so dependent on the core of Jesus' nature, the one that rescued him on the road of Damascus, I don't want you to miss it. That he didn't have this thorn and get mad and walk away from the Lord. Was he happy about it? No. Did he ask God to remove it? Yes. But it didn't cause him to mess up and give up. It didn't cause him to turn his back on the goodness of God in his all-knowing character, as an all-knowing Savior. Paul was surrendered to the person of Jesus no matter what came his way. Listen, as a pastor, I run up on people. I know, I know so many people that have allowed the honest question of, God, why me? To cause them to question the nature of God. I want you to know, just, just because we don't understand all that God is and all that He's doing doesn't mean we omit and disqualify what we can know Him to be. Listen, we have enough, okay? We, we know enough to surrender to Him and dedicate every breath to, a, to loving Him and loving other people. We have everything we need to dedicate our lives to the glory of God no matter what comes our way. We have, we have seen enough. I've seen enough to know His hand is faithful. I've seen enough to know His promises are true. I've seen enough to know that He is He is patient and I've seen enough to know he is kind and I've seen enough to know today, I've seen enough today to know that he is long suffering. This is what Job says in Job 38. Look at this, Job 38, 4. Job lost everything but his life. Even now he's lost his health. And he begins to question the goodness of God. And God shows up and he says, where were you when I established the earth? Actually, earlier he says, hey, stand up and gird yourself like a man. 
Because I'm about to ask you some man-sized questions. So he says, tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed his dimensions? Certainly, I mean, if you're going to question me, Job, certainly you know, right? Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job, tell me. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? Basically, who said the ocean could only go this far? When I made the clouds its garments and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared you may come this far, but no further. So he calls Job to the carpet. And he says, hey, who said to the ocean, your proud waves stop here? Job, surely you know. So my question to you this morning is, who is Christ in your core? Giver of just fast food money? Giver of health? Giver of homecoming crowns and touchdowns and championships? You know, new shoes, new phones. Happy home, safety, comfort. Who is Christ at your core? I'm telling you, you know that by suffering and surrender. Does the Lord give us nice things? Absolutely. He gives good gifts. He's a good father. But that's not why we should seek, and that's certainly not why we should worship him. Because here's what I know. Some of the greatest answers to our greatest problems will come in times of your greatest discouragement. Dr. Evans says that often. And so what God does, you guys write this down. This is what God knows. God knows in his sovereignty that a crooked road is often the only path. That will straighten you out. Man, that's me. That's me. Listen, God reminded me a long time ago. A crooked stick, a crooked stick can still draw a straight line when it's in the hand of a master. And don't you think just because the road looks a little different than you thought it would that God is somehow not good? Who are you to question him? I don't stop the ocean. I didn't bind it up. I didn't stretch out the universe like a like a blanket. And so who am I in such pride to say, God, I don't understand you, so I'm going to deny you, and I'm going to run my own way. Man, it's an easy life is not what is most important. It's a godly life. God will put the thorn on you. He will make you uncomfortable in order so that he can bring something more beautiful out. We find this truth all in, in the text. Matthew 6, says this. Man, this has just been sitting on my heart. I'd say the last six months. I think I've shared this verse with more people the last six months than any other verse I've shared. It's simply this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You look after his kingdom, he'll help you manage yours. You can take your hands off the wheel. Deuteronomy 429 says, but from there you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with your, with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Hey, I promise you, you'll never regret going all in. You'll never regret it. 
your children will never regret you going all in. Listen, your grandchildren won't regret you going all in. Psalm 14, 2 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks the Lord. Psalm goes on to say in the next one, 63, 1, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. Man, that's, that's where we are. And I want you to know Jesus didn't leave heaven and take on the form of man to make us happy and to make us comfortable and to make us popular. He didn't die and rise again to give you what you want like some Christian buffet line that you get to pick and choose from. He died to give you freedom to be clean before a holy God and have unconditional hope and peace forever. That's how good he is. This is what he did. See, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived your life. But because of the cross, now God treats you like you lived Jesus' life. That's worth surrendering to. That's what we brag about. Our need and, and God's gifts, our, our running and, and God's, God's chasing. Paul is saying, hey, I'm not bragging about what I have because that only makes me look good and makes this life all about me. I'm bragging about how weak I am because when I am weak, there and then in that place specifically, that's when the glory of God begins to really show out on my life. Last thing, you guys write this down. So yeah, earthly credentials point us away from heavenly significance. Natural scrapes point us to God's sovereignty. But he wraps it up in a beautiful way, saying this, that complete surrender points us to real strength. Complete surrender points us to real strength. Look at verse 9. Therefore, because of this thorn in my flesh, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Man, I prayed this over Miss Kathy yesterday. She's, she's never been weaker. It's Kathy Gilbert. You guys know Miss Kathy. She's sat here for years right there in that chair, fighting lymphoma and giving God the glory. And, and she's on a respirator, giving praises to God all the way to the end, literally fighting for the next breath. But never once with tears in her eyes holding David's hand did she question the goodness of God. She's boasting in her weakness so that Christ's power can reside in her. And so Paul says, so I take pleasure in weakness and insults, hardships, and persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Man, what a paradox, church. 
What a paradox. Paul said, I plead with the Lord three times and it wouldn't leave me. See, while that thorn wouldn't leave him, neither would the grace of God wouldn't leave him either. It drove him to his needs. And he trusted the Father's wisdom. You ever had your kids beg you for something that they really wanted, but you knew they had no business with it? A couple of Christmas ago, my girls begged me for a llama. <laughs> Listen, I love my girls. Uh, I want to make them happy. I want to be the best daddy they've ever seen. And I tell them that often. I tell them I give my life for you. And I also get it because llamas are cute. And so I see this full picture. But here's what I know that they don't know. The llama is a domesticated South American camelid widely used as a pack animal. I know they're hard-headed. They're high-maintenance. And when overloaded and, and maltreated, they're going to lie down, they hiss, they spit, and they kick, and they refuse to move. They have sharp hooves that will, that will easily break the foot of two redheads. I know that. <laughs> I also know our 2.93 ain't enough room for them. I can't afford to feed them. Lord knows we ain't got time to brush them, to ride them, or to love them. And our HOA covenant specifically state I can't have them. <laughs> and so with a heavy heart, I lean down. And I pull in the girls. And I get Parker too, because he's like, we really want a llama. <laughs> and I pull them in. And I say no. Go with me. Not because I'm bad, but because I'm the boss that carries the burden of the wisdom. I want you to know there is not a problem that God can't solve. He may not answer prayer the way that you want it. But He is a loving Father and I'm telling you, you can trust Him. It turns out that God did answer Paul's prayer, but not in the way he thought. And we can learn from that. The beautiful thing is, is the way the words are used. Whatever the, the pain Paul experienced, God's grace was even more God's grace. When you think about God's grace, what is it, Pastor? It's His unmerited hand of involvement in your life and in my life. Unmerited hand of involvement. And for Paul, the greatest revelation was not the glory of heaven, but the grace from heaven. That's what kept him going. And so Paul says, my grace, the Lord says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. Is sufficient. It's present tense, which, which means it didn't say it will be or it ought to be or it can be. It is sufficient, which means it's active and it continues to be active. It has no end. I want you to know this, church, that, that weakness is the stage in which God displays His power. Weakness is that stage that displays His power. And so God didn't show up. He didn't lift up. He lifted in spite of our weaknesses, because of our weaknesses. And so Paul says this, and I love it. He says, and because of that, I will gladly boast. 
The word, the word gladly in Greek just, just means a shout. He will shout the boasting in his weakness. See, anybody can praise God when everything is going their way. You can shout about that. But fair weather fans are not what God has called us to. He has called us to be followers. And we see that because he says power. It means to spread over like a tent. So you have the word shout and you have the word cover like a tent. Which means when you're weak, what it's saying, Paul's saying is that the power of God in your weakness will tabernacle over you like a blanket. The power of God covers you when you boast about the weaknesses in your life. Man, that picture, right? It's when we throw up our hands and surrender that God's hands are most available to us. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, if being needy and being weak and going through things that others have been and being insulted and persecuted and made fun of, if that helps God work in me and helps me feel him close, I'm going to brag about that. If being weak and what I can do leads me to see what God can do, then bring it on. How would the world be changed? How would our homes be changed? How would our churches be changed if we lived that out? This place would be full. Write this down, wrapping up. The dark times of your life will last only as long as is necessary for God to accomplish the purpose in you. That's a fridge hanger right there. Dark times in life will only last as long as necessary for God to accomplish His will by His power. Get these guys right here. Now look at these. This is, how, this is how I want you to see surrender through strength. Victory through surrender. You know, when you think about a, I've heard it put like this, when you, when you think about a wild horse that needs to be broken, these are some spurs. These are from real live cowboys, okay? They go to our church. <laughs> and cowgirls. Farm people. When you think about a horse that needs to be broken, That horse has all the strength and all the purposes that God has made him to be, but he wants to do his own thing. And so when the cowboy comes along, he has to try to break him of that pride. And so he, he puts on these spurs and he puts these, these spurs in the side like a thorn in the flesh. And, and that horse, will, what it'll do, it'll, it'll kick and it'll, it'll buck and it'll do everything it can to push that rider off. If you think about what the horse is saying, what he's saying is, I'm okay with you giving me water every day. I'm okay with you giving me food every day. I'm okay with you giving me somewhere warm and dry to sleep. I'm okay with all of that stuff you give me, but don't you dare try to tell me what to do. And so what does that good cowboy do? He gets on. He rides it out, that rebellion. And after a while, he's able to control that horse with these spurs right here. Spurs of surrender. And here's the beautiful thing about that horse. It didn't lose its purpose. 
It's just as strong. It's just as powerful. It's just as smart. What's the difference? It's just strength under the control of surrender. The spurs of surrender. And so here's what Paul is telling us. That there's going to be times in your life that absolutely rub against you every day. But don't you run from who God has made you to be. Let it pull you close. Let him control. Let him have the reins so that he can allow you to live life for his good purposes. And what a picture we've seen of that today. Amen. With Amanda, Celeste. Now they're under the spurs of surrender. Living life to the full. Let's stand together. We'll put these right up here. Hey, a praise team's coming. Let me just ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to give you a few things to consider. This is just the reality here. That this, is, this is, could be the most important moment of our day. It's just simply a time that we reflect on the goodness of God and ask yourself, hey, where, where, where is the power of my life? See, here's what that horse knew. That power comes through the spurs of surrender. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, there's some things in some of your lives that the Lord has been spurring you on and you've been trying to buck Him off. And so what is that area God's been calling you to? Just an area of surrender. Hey, maybe, maybe there's not one in your life, but maybe there is for some on your left and right. So I just want to encourage you just to close your eyes and pray for them. They would have the courage just to hear this word and respond to it. Is there an area of your life you've been trying to buck the Lord off of? I encourage you, friend, to come to the feet of the Father this morning. Hey, what is that thing that you've resented Him for that you should start trusting Him in? What's that thing that you've resented Him for? Maybe something you have faced as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. Maybe last week you resented the Lord for that. But you realize that doesn't disqualify his goodness. You can start trusting him in that thing. Here's my heart. Is that we just find a new place of surrender. I don't know what that looks like for you. I encourage you to do business with the living God today. What does that area of surrender look like for you? And I'm telling you, it might change your life. It might change your future. It may change your marriage. 
I promise God is not going to show up in your heart with that still small voice and leave you unequipped. He wants to meet you in a new place of weakness so you can have victory and surrender. So he puts the ball because he loves us. He puts the ball on our court. He lets us run. He lets us buck, but he never once lets us go. So I simply want to invite you this morning to do business with a living God. Stop playing games if you have been. God, we thank you, Lord, for your good word. God, we thank you, Lord, for good soil. We thank you, Lord, for good people. Not based on our own earthly credentials, Lord, but because of what you have done for us. God, I know there's some heavy hearts in here. Situations in the home, at work, at school. Weaknesses that have been used to push you away, Lord. I pray that this would be the morning that those weaknesses would turn a heart to you and they would be full surrender, Lord. And our waters here would overflow to our hearts and our families in this community. God, you would continue to fill this place, Lord. Not so that we may boast, but in our weaknesses collectively together as a faith family, we can boast in who you are and what you have done, Lord. So today, because of new life, Amanda and Celeste, Lord, we boast in our weaknesses. We say thank you, Father, for running to us again and again and again. Lord, don't leave us this morning. May your presence move and work in us. Thank you, Lord. Lift up Kathy to you right now. Lord, she and David, God, you know her needs. You know her groanings, Lord. Your word says that your spirit takes those groanings right into your presence. And so, Lord, we ask you to bring her home or take her home, Lord. Because of who you are, your grace would be sufficient. Your power would be made manifest in her weakness. So, Lord, hold up your daughter and hold up your son for the glory of your name. God, continue to make our path straight over the next few minutes. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,